0: Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our practice edition for the week. I'm Devin Bedoni, And I'm Uriel Eisen. And we've got a bit of a smorgasbord here. It looks like we both had a pretty productive week. Um, a couple key things are gonna be um, turning on tool life on Uriel's machine, a whip board uh, in our shop, and some you're doing some research on some interesting tool uh, thread milling, mm-hmm. some other cool stuff. Um, looks like we both had a pretty good week. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a fitting quote, I think. Yeah,
1: um, the smallest deed is better than the grandest intention, from John Burroughs. Yes, um, I have mixed feelings about the quote. Uh, the the there's an assumption. The nice part <laughs> is definitely. I think we both commented on like. Things that just linger and then you finally do it and it takes so little time and it makes such a big difference. And you're like, why did I wait so long? Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes the why is the grand intentions is like the these big ideas about how it could be. Yeah. And it becomes very daunting. And then when you take a very small step that even just barely approximates it, it's so much better than nothing. Like... We hung, this is weeks (laughs) ago, but we hung, we put up a board with two screws in it to hold like a roll of tape and some scissors Uh because they're always floating around. Yeah, It looks ugly. It's not that ergonomic. Like it definitely needs a Rev 2, but -hmm. it hasn't gotten one and it is massively better than (laughs) just random stuff floating around. Yeah. The downside I would say is that it is important to have that zoomed out view to make sure that these improvements are working toward a working toward something worthwhile.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that this quote, um, there's an assumption built in. Well, for one, it's, it's a binary. There's an assumption of a binary built in that if you have a grandest intention, you will maybe never Mm. achieve and that doing something small is better in reality obviously we can exist between those two poles right. uh, and go back and forth from them um but i think it still stands that um well i guess all of these systems that we're talking about trying to implement these these methodologies sort of are balancing that that tension between having the intention to guide and using the deeds to achieve (laughs) yeah totally
1: i i mean and the other piece which we've touched on is that the only thing we have access to in a real way are very very small actions and that they just accumulate in a productive way if you they are aimed (laughs) properly right like typing out an sop the actions involved are like pressing a a letter on a keyboard yeah one at a time
0: in the right order yeah um
1: yeah I don't know it's a it's a cool one
0: uh, on that note uh, we had a cool thing this last week so last last episode I mentioned that kind of took a hard stop at the beginning of the week as a reset for the whole mm-hmm. crew Um, and Ariel wrote out some SOPs nice and up to that point I was the only one who had written any that's and very cool so that was awesome to just be like tackle you know this right why did she do it uh because she was the one who had time and there were things that she engages with or we all engage with but they were i'm trying to remember actually which sops she wrote um but they were yeah things that she engages with on a daily mm-hmm. basis that we've been i think that we both engage with more so than quorum I'm blanking on actually what they were for. Mm-hmm. But it was very cool to be like, oh, this is not just me now. We can we can share this responsibility. Um, I feel like there's been a shift in the shop in general over the last month of sort of a, a low-level excitement about the fact that we're doing this stuff.
1: That's very cool. and And I think it's worth pausing for a second here to think about what that means so you've been doing the uh doing lean doing doing lean whatever so lean bro (laughs) like you've been actively taking steps in the shop and talking about it and
0: working on it for year plus? plus year and a half year and a half yeah i think i first started reading the toyota way march of 22 okay and was like Mind explode, kind of moment.
1: Yeah, I will say for anyone who's enjoying this podcast, there's people who know a lot more about yeah. it <laughs> and write mo- much more co- coherently. <laughs> and we do mention those books on the podcast all the time. So yeah. give them a read, they're very good. Yeah. Um, but if you are trying to implement it in your shop or your organization, mm-hmm. there is going to be some lag. And I think everyone I've seen, like shop tours, and in those books, it all talks about like the need for having someone who's sort of like an evangelist, like just someone who's like come hell or high water going to make <laughs> going to keep kind of plotting forward yeah. on process improvement, talking about it, noticing things, talking about what they're noticing, all that. Screaming and it's going to take
0: from the mountaintops.
1: Yeah. And I think it's going to take a while for the people who are whatever wired differently differently have other things going on in their life have a history of working in organizations that are organized different ways to see that I think a few important things one is that it is actually about um, improving people's jobs yeah. Right. Like if it's just about you making more money and you're not going to include them in that success, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of passion. No,
0: no. And I, I agreed. Uh, I, I also, so personally I have a hard time, uh, engaging with systems that I don't feel like I comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people are similar. There, there are definitely people out there who are just like, give me some rules and I will follow them. Totally. I'm not one of those people. I really want to know why the rules exist. Yeah. And I think maybe that, I think that's pretty common. People want to know the underlying principles that govern whatever system they're engaging with. The reason I bring that up is I do think it's important to provide some philosophical background for y- your people so that they understand these underlying goals and, and theories and reasons for doing things to some extent, maybe not exhaustive, maybe not to the point where they're going to, um, you know, be the evangelist, but at least so that it doesn't seem weird. I think that's it. I think like, I think it can often, what
1: I hear about people implementing these things is that from the perspective of the person working on the floor, who by Toyota's definition is the Only value add person in the organization, it can feel completely arbitrary and just that like people are just changing the the goalposts on them and changing the rules and taking away their their systems and their existing tools and saying oh do it this way it's way better and yeah I but I was gonna ask do you think there's anything that's changed or has it just been time and your because I know you they started reading the Toyota way do you think that (coughs) I think that was a
0: turning point I think they both read very little. but we did have our first like uh, books and beer as we're calling it last month. Um, And it was kind of cool also to see, I don't remember if I talked about this on the, on the podcast, but sort of where their questions went. Mm. Um, I think both of them were a little surprised to realize that like, Oh, this is like a management philosophy book, not just like a, how do we make stuff book? And I think that piqued both of their interest a little bit. I think both of them were anticipating like a nuts and bolts, like single piece flow manual. And I'm just like, Ugh. yeah, which would be awful. Uh, I mean, that's sort of what some of the Shigio books are, yeah. but not so it's not awful to those of us interested, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people would be. Um, so I think like realizing that it was like management philosophy and like business philosophy and just philosophy kind of mm-hmm. in general. I think piqued their interest and <clears throat> i think you know one of the first questions was like toyota has this like concrete um mission statement goal sort of and the first question was like do you have a concrete goal for, for our business and i was like oh. oh that is not the point of this meeting my <laughs> uh, but but it, it led to a very good discussion and we kind of like Talked through some of that uh-huh. together, um, <clears throat> so I think that was a turning point in getting people engaged. Also, just a lot of discussions on the day to day, and the more the the daily morning meeting, I think has has helped a lot because it's a time for us to talk through stuff and problem solve together. And in that, we're bringing in a lot of these concepts that otherwise would just be me standing at my desk thinking by myself about in the dark <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> um interesting yeah
1: that was a little bit of an aside but uh no i think that's super cool i mean it, it's interesting to me because i don't feel like i've had that um experience like i hired once i was very much doing this stuff yeah and that was a big part of the hiring was for that rather than for any particular skill
0: you finding someone who's interested.
1: Uh, open-minded. I don't think uh-huh. they knew it existed, uh-huh. but when I mentioned the things, their eyes kind of lit up in a way that yeah. <laughs> some people and like, stopped. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're intrigued, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Um, one thing to me about this stuff that I think is exciting, but I don't know if it's exciting to other people, is sort of like the pursuit of perfection, percent. <laughs> um, hundred oh, which yeah. is like intriguing and fun. Um, sometimes theoretical for sure. Well, but always
0: theoretical. Right? Always theoretical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to. Yeah. You'll never. Get there. It? It's like the pursuit of perfection is impossible.
0: Like you're, I forget
1: the quote. Anyway, you're never going to get there. You're going to, you'll, you'll settle for excellence, <laughs> basically. Uh,
0: well, and the, it's like explicitly stated in TPS that like if you achieve your, your uh, like future state, it means that it's not actually perfection because you achieved <laughs> never it. Get so you yeah. have to then push it out again yeah. and see what the next level up is.
1: And in fact, Kanban is actually a tool for breaking your systems. Right. In a controlled manner. <laughs> controlled demolition of business systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, that's sort of all theoretical, but that's yeah. very interesting. I feel like we've gotten a few questions from people about... Mm-hmm. Adoption, and I don't know that either of one of us is particularly uh, qualified yeah. to speak to that. Um, but you are going through it in an in a very small way, which in some ways is not applicable, but mm-hmm. in other ways is extremely applicable. Because at the end of the day, every organization is made up of individuals, and you just have a very good view of yeah the total organization as well as the individuals in a funny way
0: i think it is a little bit applicable in the sense that as much as the business was just me for a long time and then it was just me and one other person for a bit i had still sort of like developed a strong i don't want to say culture but like there was ways i did stuff yeah, that, that was very clear and ex, you know explicit to some extent, and we are making it is like an active shift, mm-hmm. and we're doing it together on the fly, um, and so I think in in that sense it's like we didn't start from scratch with this methodology or philosophy. We are we're making a change, a running change, so I think it is applicable in that sense. Do you think they've started noticing that that it enhances their? life
1: at work in any way like do you think that that's been a shift or not so much like do you think it's like more calm more organized in a pleasant way i should ask that
0: um like i'd be really curious if if you have if you i have felt that way and i have stated as such to yeah. them um the last couple months have been like because our work is very variable mm-hmm the last couple of months have been a little crazy, but given how, how much work we did, I think it was quite organized and calm compared to how it would have been a year ago. Yeah. But it'll still be interesting to see kind of what their experience has been.
1: I'd just be super curious. Like, it seems like at some point they're sort of, they sort of went like, Oh, there's something to this. And I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good, I'll bring it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, On that note, And we kind of discussed this last last week. Um, Part of the crazy often is feeling like there's all the production work to do and then all of these other tasks to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this last week, we just transitioned our whiteboard to being a whipboard. Um, That's work in process. Work in process. Um, It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Makes a big difference, though. Yeah? Yeah, surprisingly. (laughs) So we just have a column of things to do okay and it's just right now it's that's not divided in any way it's like internal projects little doodads to order um whatever you know making an sop for a thing mm-hmm. uh taking out it could be like taking out the trash but we don't put that on there um and we're writing the tasks on magnetic dry erase stickers i they're, just ordered some of those yeah, i'm very excited about them so good uh, and then we just have three columns, one for each person's name. And when you want to do one, you take it and you put it on in your in your column. And have you created an explicit limit,
1: or is it just a very nice visual? Like, no, oh, you doing, haven't finished that one. So we're just doing one. Oh, one! Wow.
0: Because I figure you can't work on two at once. So it it is the uh, okay. So it
1: is definitely the ultimate. Uh huh. But I also see a lot of companies have more than one. So I'd sure. be curious how that develops. I have also seen companies that do one. Yeah. And I think the difference is a lot of those companies do a probably a better job of breaking out what's on those stickers into something that can be achieved in one day. Uh huh. <clears throat> right. If it's like
0: yeah, some major project. <laughs> that's the thing. There's some things on that they're like yeah, yeah. Implement our new tool tag system, and it's right, like, that's a project.
1: I wonder how something I've been thinking about with whipboards, and I want to yeah. get that set up hopefully this week um, is w- like okay so if I write a project like yeah redo our tool management system yeah, which I think there needs to be a way of capturing that to-do mm-hmm. item but then there needs to be a step where that sort of gets looked at of like what exactly are we solving for what are the problems what are the yeah, just like the 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 a, a good R and D process, mm-hmm. and then that will result in a bunch of smaller tasks, breaking that
0: big task into. Smaller yeah, tasks. and sort
1: of where that happens, and who owns that, and how do you deal with the fact that there's like big ongoing projects that we're all dealing with as a in a business all yeah. the time? Mixed in are these small tasks, and I don't know how to deal with that on a whipboard. Yeah, for example. I, in one day, I do sales, I do production, I do paint, I do improvements. Yeah. That's already four categories. Do I have one item in each category or is it really... I mean, there is something to be said for like, you have eight hours today. What are you doing in those eight hours? And it might just be one thing. Yeah. And the return on invested time is so much faster if you do just complete tasks. Yeah. And so... I bet it would be better rather than this balanced. I do a little bit of sales and then I run across the room and I deal with this production <laughs> issue. And then I jump back into sales, get distracted, do some.
0: Yeah. Well, going know. back to kind of like your, your brother's question of like, what did we notice? How do we problem solve? Mm. So I think the problem, like what we're noticing here and what we're trying to solve for is like paralysis from feeling like you have too many things to do and then not being able to tackle anything um because of that and so i think fundamentally what we're trying to achieve is breaking it down to bite-sized pieces and so i think what you're bringing up makes a lot of sense in like i do think it's important to potentially break out the larger projects because otherwise you might just feel paralyzed by that one um conversely if you pick a big project let's say like redoing your tool organization and you put that in your column maybe that is a thing where it's like whenever you have time you just chew on that until it's done Mm -hmm. and it will get done and you don't tackle any other small things right you know i could see a maybe a useful division just being like each person has a big project and a small project column and you pick one of each or something right you're gonna end up going through the small stuff a lot quicker though And you may never, you know, get to the larger thing because you use up all of your sort of flex time on those small things. So I don't know. Yeah. I also wonder sometimes
1: if maybe what we'll learn through doing it is becoming more diligent and thoughtful about pulling a tag into your column. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like right now we do a lot of projects. Not a lot. I mean, I think everyone does this, but basically like oh we should fix that and then we write it on a to do list and then we do like four hours of work on it or like over the course of the next week sort of figuring out if it's a good idea and then it's sort of like eh, there's other good ideas also and then that sort of gets forgotten and maybe we'll come back to it maybe we won't maybe it was sort of a dead end but but the four hours that got spent on that thing you won't get back yeah. and I think it's easy to sort of it's easy to never analyze it if it's not super visible but if mm-hmm. it's like that tag has been in your column for the last six months what's happening it's like yeah, yeah it's a dead end I think this is sort of where like a very like this is where A3 comes in right mm-hmm. and I want to like I'm really seeing a need for us to become more systematic about our problem-solving methods because mm-hmm. I think there's just a huge amount of waste that feels fine. It feels like inherent in a funny way, but I don't think it is. I think it's basically a lack of or or just a lot of room for improvement in the early stages of a project. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. I think a whip board is a huge first step and we don't have one yet. I mean, we, yeah. we do in software, so no one looks at it. Sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, as, it was so simple. I think everyone should do it and you don't have to use the magnetic tags. You can just write stuff and dry erase it, write yeah. it in your column or yeah. whatever, but they are very cheap. <laughs> yeah. And very simple and utilitarian.
1: I was on the fence about getting color coded ones versus white ones. Uh-huh. I ended up getting white ones, thinking you could add color with the marker.
0: Yeah, or by both. By both. We're yeah. using white right now, with the thought that we might end up using color because we have color right. at some point to prioritize. But I'm sort of like,
1: but then you have to rewrite on different tags. I was sort of thinking maybe of getting some magnetic colors, like mm-hmm. just a color magnet. So then you could stick it to the other magnet. I wonder what the polarity is in those magnetic stickers. Do you think it's north facing out and south facing back? Or is it sort of like a mishmash? I
0: think it's kind of a mishmash. But they do
1: sort of stack. They stick to each other, right?
0: Yeah, ish. Not Like well. offset? Not or.
1: Well. <coughs> it'd be very mm. interesting to know what the magnetic fields in those are. <laughs> I mean, you could figure that out with some some that sugars. weird paper. Oh, there's also that <coughs> film. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. It's like a film. I don't know what's on the inside.
0: Presumably something <laughs> magnetic. Yeah. Uh, but it will show you the fields. It's pretty uh, cool. Uh, um, yeah. I guess like, I think it's good to start simple and only add, only add divisions and complexity if it really adds a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. That's so my thought. That's why we started with white as well. It's yeah. like, let's just leave this as a flat list and people can pick what makes sense for them. Yeah.
1: Interesting. I, yeah. I think there's so much room for, like, I don't know. I'm just seeing in our process, I think there's uh, a lot of room for improving the problem solving process. Yeah. I think I am very good at problem solving. Uh huh. But that's in, in certain some fields, ways, definitely in certain fields, but also in some way that's actually allowed me to be bad at systemizing. Yeah. Bad at. Applying a good process. Yeah, and you don't want to rely on good people basically. Yeah and i'm also I think I I think I could get much better. Yeah, basically
0: Yeah, what we've sort of ended up with here I was just realizing this morning is we sort of have three boards Okay, and they're loosely divided. This just happened. It wasn't intentional Mm -hmm. But they're loosely divided into production and that's where our job like work uh, whatever traveler things are yeah production tasks then we have another one that's um effectively maintenance like repeat stuff okay so that's just like our machine cleanouts and a couple other i like that we random need that things board. that we do every week yeah and then this whip board is sort of like everything else that's non-recurring that's one-time actions mm-hmm. um and i think huh that's a nice division thinking through that division going forward I think we can tackle a lot of take a lot of the confusion out of what do I do right now this minute based on looking at the production board what needs to be done okay that's first If if there's nothing there that's super critical go to the whip board and then the production stuff happens on schedule or the maintenance stuff happens on schedule
1: right yeah um interesting so actually seeing as this is our practice edition <laughs> um, let's get to some things so this one uh okay so i've been shopping for thread mills to cut the teeth on our cams yes right and now we're doing it with a single point thread mill which means that every tooth gets a movement of the machine
0: yeah so what you're slow. seeing is a lot of cycle time
1: yes the problem i'm seeing is a lot of cycle time and then sort of wasted motion on the part of the machine like just yeah. i've been watching the machine quite a bit lately just uh-huh. looking for what to improve yeah. and i'm sort of trying to prioritize it by basically roi so how much time do we spend and then how much time do we save yeah. with that time and so ideally it's things that yeah it's cut down a lot of time and also how many times are we doing the process that it saves time on yeah um There's a few that are on my list. Uh, One of them is right now we do a tool change to blow out the vice jaws and you have run air to your vice jaws, which I think I need to come up with a systematic way of bringing air to the vice jaws. Um, And that could be that could mean a few things that I'm looking at. Um, it could be plumbed into the vice jaws themselves mm-hmm. it could be to a carrier that we've sort of talked about that then gets air to the vice jaws like an intermediate carrier that's a much yeah. bigger project it could yeah. mean modifying the existing vice jaws for air i would start it with that could it's so straightforward oh i meant the, the existing vice oh yeah well, i'll probably start with the vice jaws that just i just start with your jaws and drill yeah. some holes but the other option which is probably the fastest is mounting some flex line lo- what's it called line lock lock line lock line uh mounting it to the table mm. that sort of blows up at an angle and then just rotating the a-axis down to it uh-huh and that's like very quick and i could do it in the time that i'm picking apart out of the vice and delivering
0: it to the cups like a simultaneous move yeah Uh something
1: like that is also an option anyway um but one of the ones i've been looking at is that i'd love to hear your thoughts on is uh the thread mill the larger diameter the thread mill is so we found a couple that are suitable um the larger the diameter is
0: suitable for those people that understand is a instead of having a single a single tooth that cuts a single groove. It's got multiple teeth that cut multiple grooves in a single pass. Like imagine a, a corn cob, effectively. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar with milling, not a corn cob mill, but a, <laughs> like a corn cob where each, <laughs> each little bump is cutting a groove.
1: Yeah. Um. So the larger the diameter of that tool is, the more rigid it is. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're not cutting a lot of material, so I'm not sure that that's a big no factor um and then the other consideration but then as we get to a longer longer stick out like reach um again the diameter so basically what it's looking like is we probably will need a single point thread mill to cut the lines that go across the cam because otherwise that that larger tool will hit our vice jaws oh interesting i don't know how they're clamped but sort of grabbing the end of the anyway uh, yeah so that's sort of and i think the answer my my right now my feeling is optimize each for their purpose like get a because i found ones that are small but the issue is the number of teeth it will cut per pass just drops yeah so it will now be like two passes on our one inch cam instead of one pass but the one pass the tool that can do it in one pass Will not be able to cut the grooves the other direction, so there's sort of this like it uses up the diameter, yeah. So it uses up another pocket in our milling machine, but it saves more time.
0: Or go to larger stock and protrude your part further from the vice jaw,
1: yes. That is another consideration, just broadly, is uh increasing stock size so we can grab more so we can mill harder, yeah. Um. I think that would have to be a lot more like these tools are like five eighths of an inch or half inch diameter. Uh-huh. And so you need like a good quarter inch of clearance to the hardened insert in the jaw and then another you yeah. know eighth inch. So you'd sort of like eating up three eighths of an inch on a tiny part. It's kind of painful, but maybe that's anyway. What do you think? I, I'm sort of feeling like just simplify go after like the goal here is saving cycle time like maximize that like get the cycle time all the way down but then if i run out of tool pockets which i'm not out at currently like i hmm. could afford to add one more probably i could also probably free up another one or two
0: uh-huh um yeah i would say if you're going to go to this effort try and well, I don't understand the whole system well enough, but mm. it seems like if you're going to go through the effort of of making this like, mar- it's a, yeah, it's a marginal gain. Yeah. Like at least... I think ma- it's 10 seconds per cam. So that's not... Which is that out, percentage of, wise. out of three minutes. So yeah. it's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it's still going to take a few seconds. Yeah. So It'll at least take- make sure you can get what you everything you can get out of it. Uh, as long as you don't compromise too many other things. Yeah. The other option would be going to steal jaws and make the jaws... Like, you could make a very, like, uh, minimal tooth to grab the stock. Mm-hmm. And then a relief, like, cut a relief in for that tool.
1: Yeah. The issue we've been running into with a minimal tooth is
0: pull out not not minimal in depth but minimal in terms of like how far it comes out away from the stock and then relieve behind it true so that you could come in with a tool yeah because the the ones you're using the off the shelf mighty bite you know they're half an inch wide right so that's That's, the full right and half you know that's so that it can take a bolt and so that it can have teeth on the other side which is all extraneous for your use case
1: true that's a thought I have thought of a totally different way of machining these that is sort of intriguing But I, this gets back to the, the like how much time do we put into optimizing this product versus just right. going to new products? It's yeah, depends when you ask I'll give you a
0: different answer So the other thing is you could get a the full-size one hmm and use that to cut them in the one direction, which is most of the passes anyway, right? And then just stick with your single point for the other direction. That's
1: sort of what i'm thinking for now as a stepping stone also this part is 300 is, is 250 bucks so the roi on that is the tool yeah the roi is like two months or something of yep. running production or less if we go to overnight runs yeah so pretty cheap mm-hmm. interesting
0: uh yeah maybe so that's I think i'm gonna best. order a
1: big chunky one today yeah and order the big
0: chunky one try it out see the other thing you need to make sure is like before you go to making new jaws and stuff is make sure that The actual part will handle the cutting pressure of that, and you're not going to have to do a bunch of depth passes. Yeah. And you lose a bunch of your gain.
1: Right, right. It was very interesting. The one-inch cam, the way I'm machining it, the order of operations was almost entirely dictated by rigidity. Yeah. Of like dealing with which face gets machined when, Mm -hmm. before removing meat. Yeah, I feel like normally the machining is sort of like okay, rough out all the excess. Right. Go and do your. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's sort of funny. I had to reorder everything. Um,
0: makes sense. Yeah. Let's see. What else do we got here? We started using our new tool tag system which was a big step. Very cool. Yeah. We've been printing new tags for a month plus. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How is it? Uh, I think it's been good. Nice. Yeah. I haven't had any like immediate um, like aha moments. But So what's
1: new about, well, firstly, what did you notice? Yeah.
0: So what we noticed was there was multiple things. Part of it would go under the quote unquote quality of life. Category, but okay, genuine waste of like time and frustration. Um, we had made the like little I don't know what you call them like pockets, sort of that's magnet, magnet, magnetically stuck to the front of the machine that were numbered that you slide a standard tool tag into, Mm -hmm. like an off the shelf tool tag. The magnets didn't stay in super well because of the polarity, they all wanted to shift so they didn't stay in a line hilarious um and then they were made maybe a little tight sometimes for the tags, so they were a little hard to get in and out um and the the real driving thing was that the the tags themselves um they from what I could see you could only get bt30 in one color at Hmm. least from where I was ordering okay um and I wanted to color code them um and so simplifying just the thought was get rid of the the little pockets make the tag itself magnetic mm-hmm. and color code it so that we can have standard and non-standard tools easily visible okay um so yeah we printed in the magnets in integral to the print yeah so there's like an operator stop midway through um where you add two magnets and then tell it the printer to go again and it covers it up um we did green and yellow so green is going to be for standard tools that are supposed to stay set up at all times mm-hmm. yellow is for things that we use often but we don't keep in a tool holder okay so let's say like a certain size drill that maybe we use once a month but we don't want to dedicate a holder to it yeah um and then the other reason for the magnets was so that we could magnetize. We could put little markers on the tag that say if it's in an alternate condition, like if the stick out has oh, been interesting. adjusted. Um, and so that's just a physical. What, what, how does yeah, that Yeah, we'll just like put a magnet on the face of the tag. That just sticks to one of the magnets inside, basically.
1: And what does that say? It's that just says, like a color, and you know that it's been modified in some way, and then you ref- refer somewhere else to see how it's been modified. Or um,
0: it's real. So the the way we have our tags, the front is the ID number mm-hmm. and a description. So you, because we're not going to memorize hundreds of ID numbers. So like, ID being identification not internal diameter. In yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, so it'll be like number 610 And it'll be like this is an m6 by one form tap on the okay. front on the back It'll say specifics of the tool what the stick out is and if it's defined what the holder is Okay, so you can easily like just turn the tag around and if it's the little magnets on there for non-standard or for yeah. altered you can just stick a ruler on the tool itself and see how far mm. it's sticking out and compare to the back of the tag. Gotcha is the thought. Okay, uh, we haven't started using that aspect yet. Gotcha. Um, and in doing Cause this, previously there was a need to modify. Yes. The, okay, so I'm just trying to think. The, yeah, theoretically, you should not modify. You should. There should be standard and non-standard, but in reality, in our shop. It's like th- there's an often need to modify and coming up with a new non-standard doesn't make sense for every single time. And it's almost always that we're just needing a little extra stick out for an odd part. But
1: and it's much easier to just reach in the machine, take the standard part, pull the tool out a little bit. Yeah. Keep rolling yeah. instead of having to like go get that tool from the standard stock. Yeah. May trigger kanban which doesn't necessarily make sense because you're only going to be using it for, like, a minute and you have another one. Yeah. And then you're going to have one
0: floating around. Yeah. It's just wasteful to be like, okay, we're going to pull this perfectly good tool out Yeah. that in all ways except for one is exactly what we need. Right. And set it on a shelf and then set up another one to do what that one will do with a slight adjustment.
1: Yeah. No, it makes sense. I think, like, the reason I'm sort of... Beating a dead horse here. Maybe no, it's worth is that I think this is a super common thing where you have a system that There's a big I don't know in lean and TPS. There's a big emphasis on standardization But I think sometimes that that, that standardization And I don't know if that will go away with time as other things become more standardized You realize that the cost of deviation is higher and higher mm-hmm. or if it is just that because there's also a big emphasis on flexibility yeah, and so in some ways, building systems that have methods of noting when there's an exception or w- that is convenient and easy and understood, yeah, is hugely valuable and seems quite powerful. Yeah, and that's I,
0: what we're going for.
1: Yeah, so it's very cool, and I'm, yeah, trying to understand sort of what the and driving the, the only downside
0: mostly of having a tool that's sticking out too far is that in certain applications you could have bad cutting performance. So a
1: loss of rigidity.
0: Yeah. So yeah. you know, you might pull this tool out super far for this one job and program accordingly. And then you need to know that it's in a different situation so or a different state so that when you come back and you are running a repeat program where you like slot super hard, you need to know like, oh, that's sticking out an extra three quarters of an inch. It's going to scream. You got to push it back in. <laughs> um, so uh-huh. yeah, so we just started doing that. And then part of that was adding um, really actually the most key aspect, I think, was adding in uh, my tool library and cam a designation for standard and non-standard.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So I went through and edited the whole thing and added an S or an NS to every tool ID so that as they're put out into programs going forward, they have that designation. So you know when you first set it up, whether it goes into a yellow or a green tag. Smart. Um, Coming back to the kind of like, that's the single point of truth for all tool data is the CAM library. Yeah. Um,
1: Right. Because otherwise you have a modification in the shop that is nowhere represented in your
0: program. Yeah. And we're not going to be pulling the... uh, Uh, you know, we're not going to be pulling that like alteration, like the little deviation from standard back Mm -hmm. into our tool. Well, we do sort of, but on a program by program basis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Like you modify as needed output that they set it up for that need. Yeah. And that's the end of it. You're not going to go back and modify it to what it ended up being. Exactly. It's sort of like, yeah, that worked. We'll modify it again for the next one as needed. Yeah. Basically.
0: Gotcha. So I'm not sure that all made sense to people, but um, so far it's cool. It's a much cleaner on the machine. Oh, and the last part of that was, so we got rid of the little numbered pockets. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we just ordered um, stickers with numbers on them that are round, they're like an inch in diameter. And we just stuck them to the front of the machine, Mm -hmm. one through 21 for the number of tool pockets. And so when you take the tag off the tool and put it in that pocket, you just put the tag on the face of the machine over that number and you can see it through the hole in the in the tag yeah pretty straightforward very straightforward yeah still a little awkward because we have like both in play a little bit on some machines
1: i saw a shop tour where they did something it's funny i i just feel like this is such an applicable thing to so many environments of like where the state of a machine is not in any way visual like visually apparent yeah so you have to start digging through menus or looking in the machine or Mm. whatever. I remember shop tour where they had different cutting nozzles for a laser. Okay. And it was impossible to know what, what was in the machine. And then someone eventually came up with, yeah, these magnets that just said what was in the machine. So when you make a change, you just stick a magnet to it. Yeah. And Um, one,
0: so I, in thinking through doing this originally, a lot of people have made like a, kind of like a rack that's much more compact mm-hmm. than all of the tags go into. But from what I've seen, you have to pull the tags out to actually read them. And I really didn't, I really wanted to be able to to at a glance, be able to see what tools were in every pocket without having to touch anything necessarily. So that was kind of, it's less, it's less clean overall in terms of like tidiness at the mm-hmm. machine. Um, but in terms of getting the information quickly, it seemed advantageous.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the people I've seen who do the the caddies you're talking about that are super neat, they're running more production work. Uh huh. Like, you know, year. <laughs> right. <laughs> they produce a product. They have standard tools. <laughs> right. That's very in control
0: of all that yeah you're not trying to like search around the shop for the m8 tap and figure out which machine it's Well, so
1: you're changing tools all the time and every
0: job is different and
1: you have to you can't ask them to change their design a little bit to fit your custom tool your standard tool library whereas internally you can yeah you can be like yeah let's change this a little let's yeah anyway (laughs) very cool um i have a few very small ones uh so we we ordered a five millimeter allen key t handle um, we were using a, a normal, what are they called? Like an L-shaped sure. Allen key for, for vice changing our vice jaws. and They're just a little too deep for the L side, right? They're too deep for the L side, and then also you can't spin them. Yeah, They have no inertia. Oh. I mean, they, they have inertia. Uh, Very little not inertia. Yeah, Rotational inertia. So the L l handle once it's loosened once it's broken free you can spin it and it spins the t handle yeah sorry the t handle yeah. and so that was the modification so it's just a little bit faster um ergonomically more comfortable to do like it doesn't hurt your fingers so that's nice yeah. uh it's something sam was just like can we order a t handle for this because i had gotten one for our for changing the gripper fingers uh-huh And it's kind of nice because it's a really long one. And so you basically go to torque and the way, you know, is just when it starts to like twist, twist, like (laughs) in a springy way, not in a, (laughs) I just bent my tool. Um, yeah. So he's just like, he asked for one for that, which made a lot of sense. It's kind of amazing how much sometimes those very little things are just like, they make a big difference. We use it all the time, and it costs us $13. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's very nice. Great quality of life improvement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, and also, it is uh, easier to use. It's faster to do the change. I've been thinking about using a driver, like a drill. Yeah. I'm worried about, like, cross-threading. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feels like the We've wrong done that a tool. lot
0: for like f- stuff where parts are bolted to a fixture. And you're not
1: fully unscrewing a screw, right? Oh, no, no, are, no you are. F- are oh, fully yeah. unscrewing.
0: Okay. And what we found is that usually you need to start by hand. And then... Right. But it still is often faster to swap back. and Like uh uh-huh. start it by hand, start all of them by hand, come back and drive them all the to torque with a, a driver. Right. We actually just ordered new uh, drill driver combo set <clears throat> the ones we've been using I've had since 2013 okay 10 years yeah good life they're beat Yeah, I bet. <laughs> they still function
1: mostly Just but saying, it was okay. kind of like uh, because now that I'm thinking about it we use a torque wrench afterwards so we already have a tool switch in there where you start with the T handle yeah. and finish with the torque wrench Uh It might make sense to set up a driver where you change to a driver and then we just leave it set to that torque
0: Yeah, yeah, that's Mm. kind of that we've also done it from a torque man like managing torque Perspective so
1: start with the t-handle move to a driver and the t-handle would just be the for the first Thread
0: yeah, basically effectively we've been running into a similar frustrating issue where we have uh, four different vices that we use currently. Okay. Like manual vices. Yeah. And they all have a different hex driver oh, size. That's a pain. Can you just screw. buy
1: new ones from McMaster?
0: New hex driver size? New screws. Oh, no, no. That's the built in. The built in screw for tightening the vice, And so I've like to Damn. keep finding myself like walking around looking for the right uh, socket. That's super frustrating. It is. I'm very close to buying a bunch of more shunk uh, manual vices and just saying this is the only thing we use because they are a better. And, yeah. than um, just wanting to standardize and get away from this because it's aggravating.
1: And because who likes money, you know? <laughs> and that. <laughs> Give
0: it to shunk. But then we're coming to these situations where, like, we'll have to have two different torque wrenches at a station like That's one one with each socket cuz we're like we're doing op 1 and one vice and op 2 oh, in a God. different style of vice and it's like this is ridiculous. Yeah, that yeah. But we don't have enough vices right now to not do that. So, we're having Would an to adapter split. work or that would add a protruding
1: thing that is like could you just fix to the smallest one, attach a little adapter?
0: I don't understand. to
1: make it the same oh, size on
0: this on the screw on the yeah. vice. I don't know. Ah, I don't know. Yeah. They're all very close too. It's like half inch, 12 millimeter. And then one of them is a, I think it's a nine sixteenth spline. Brutal. (laughs) And then the three quarter on the big six inch vices. Frustrating. Yeah. Um,
1: let's see. So we made an improvement programming. I mentioned in the last episode that we're trying to run overnight the easiest way to do that we had a two hour we had a tray that runs for two hours mm-hmm. um doubled it up so now it's gonna run for four hours doubled it up you just added another tray well so the funniest part about it uh we had it so had the before other tray. the <laughs> <laughs> in the machine already um yeah we had before we had the flip station we would we had trays that would hold half op one and half op two yeah and so once we had added the flip station we've just stopped using the op 2 side uh-huh. but it's there and so sam was like can you just machine the pockets right into that one i was like yeah once i get more plastic he's like no like couldn't you just machine that like the op 2 pockets are smaller than the op 1 pockets uh-huh. <laughs> so i literally just ran the same toolpath back there <laughs> created the tray um i haven't run it yet because i updated all the macros you know the the programs that run the gripper yeah to do the logic to go to the second tray and i tested it i tested it by taking out all the program you know the load to device program run up one flip station op two, all that stuff because uh-huh. otherwise i have to sit there for four hours oh so i just took that out and made it do like a little z move over each pocket oh and it cycled through everything correctly finished the program everything seemed to work well but until it runs, you it still hasn't gotta find run.
0: four hours to stand there and make yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah,
1: I don't know if I'll stand there, yeah. but I'll come back every I'll five minutes. Be in the shop. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to run it into the night for the first time mm-hmm. with new logic. <laughs> um, That's. It feels smart. like very sound logic. Like I ran through it. It was like kind of interesting uh, after making the first modification. I basically, at the end of the program, pushed a new x, y coordinate for the beginning of the tra- of the second tray. So it marches through the first tray, and then once it's finished with that, there's some logic to bump it to a new set of variables. Mm. It bumps it over there, and then it marches down the second one and finishes. Uh-huh. Um, my partner's dad is a mathematician who does a lot of programming, yeah. <laughs> so I, guess I called him. Um, and asked if he could have a look at my G code and he walked in and he's like, why are you using go to he's like, that is like the first thing modern languages got rid of. It's <laughs> like, I think it's standard. So I went and read up on like G code logic. Yeah. It's pretty limited. Uh-huh. Uh I mean, it's totally sufficient.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is it's like, we're not trying to do really comp the, the complicated things are all done in cam or inside the control. Sort of. Yeah.
1: I think I think there's a lot of room for and you did you took a stab at sort of making these more universal programs that you just modify yeah instead of like going through all the programs and changing little bits here and there it's sort of like right at the top you just change some numbers and it can do a lot of things yeah your programs are pretty substantially limited to the exact methods you're using right now for machining as are mine yeah (laughs) extremely limited yeah and theoretically we could break it out into modules that would allow for a lot more flexibility without reprogramming Mm -hmm. i don't know that it's worth it because my all the the program is 57 lines like a lot of programmers are working on programs that are like 10,000 lines. Yeah. And so like going through that and changing everything, like in some ways, the really basic hacky version, like the less logic is built in, the easier it is to sort of proof. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, it can't get stuck in some weird loop that I can't foresee here. Yeah, It's just like marching through like hard coded coordinates and stuff. Yeah, Hard to go wrong. So I don't know. I feel I, I have mixed
0: feelings about it. I, I do sort of, feel like if it was a real issue, people would have fixed it. Mm -hmm. Like if there was a lot of benefit and there probably are people, you know, in industry, in high production environments, doing very complicated macro B programming.
1: Um, It seems like the answer is to not use G code is to do a lot of that logic off of the, like outside of the control uh and then telling the control what to run. Seems... Like a lot of what's happening, like if you think about managing a warehouse, you know those those like yeah. pallet pools that are like a huge line of racking. Yeah, and the robot can go anywhere and get any. Yeah, that's not managed in G code, sure. probably. Sure. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but well,
0: no, you're. I, yeah, I think you're right, and I think the benefit there is really that the consequences <gasps> are very high for bad G code. The mm-hmm. consequences and the safeties are very simple for managing a pallet pool system.
1: Sort of. I mean, you have to write, run the right G code on the right palette. But yeah,
0: but it's it's an easy compare to be like, does this match? Mm. And if things go wrong in that, it's you know it's easy to test for sensors if a palette's out of place or you know, yeah that kind of thing. I think you're right that there
1: hasn't been enough of a need to bother revamping G code.
0: Basically, also so much inertia in that yeah system. 100%. So right. I mean, some are like whatever heidenheim doesn't run g-code as we know it Mm. so they have revamped it in a sense that's true um people love it i think you can do a lot of different things with it so maybe there is a need and some people some parts of industry are are revamping it yeah
1: i also think there's a lot of wasted time that people don't realize that is driven by uh sort of hard-coded programs basically right like Uh not a high reliance on macros both in the control but also like i don't know warm-up routines that are sort of uh hardware specific and people just rewrite the the routine for Mm. the spindle speed you have and the xy travels you have right Uh instead of just like writing programs to begin with i mean it sort of blew my mind when i don't know people share programs with me from that are like industry standard and you're like this is so hacky <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable I mean they're very simple but I do wonder if it's sort of hiding some waste yeah like it's so easy to just go through and modify that I think that's what everyone does
0: yeah I think it's another example of like uh, short term gains versus long term gains yeah. yeah, and everybody's always crunched in the short term right. so they do the simplest quickest
1: easiest to debug option yeah, well, yeah easiest
0: to get running yeah like yeah if you I'm uh, guilty of that for sure yeah we all are because yeah. it's a reality we all exist in and it's very hard to justify I think putting in that extra time unless there's a clear clear benefit yeah yeah um, we small thing <clears throat> got a text from one of the employees over the weekend like hey this sheet pan rack is for sale on Craigslist on Bainbridge you want it um and i was like sure yeah it seems like we'll use that so he went and picked it up and we have had this ongoing issue where we're cutting material at the saw and we don't have a good place to put the Mm. material so we end up doing like lots of walking back and forth and it's like the longest most awkward walk in the shop it's a small shop but it's still a long awkward walk comparatively um or we'll end up like balancing a tray awkwardly on the like cover for the coolant chip sump. And it's like someday this whole tray is going to fall down in there and it's going to be a a disaster and everything's going to get mangled by the auger. Oh God. Um, so yeah, we put the sheet pan rack out there in this spot that had more or less been dead space. And now you can bring a tray out with you when you start cutting and as stuff comes off, you can just put it on the tray and then when it's all done you carry it in nice it's great um we've all also like the depending on the length of the cut some parts can stack up on the outfeed on the saw but it's not very long yeah and we have a bucket there with coolant to catch overflow but just kind of like sucks you're reaching into this nasty like coolant. i mean it's not nasty but it's a bucket of coolant yeah. to get parts out so I think most of us when we're sawing we tend to try and visit the saw often to set parts aside so they don't end up in the bucket Yeah. also we have a couple times forgotten or not noticed that parts ended up in the bucket R- run cut more on the machine no not oh. run more on the machine I no, sorry not cut more run what we had on the machine assumed that it was done because we'd used everything we cut. Right. And then realized like we didn't actually make as many parts as we needed and two of the blanks were still Damn. in the bucket kind of a thing. That That's actually I think has only happened once. But when um,
1: I, I used your saw briefly. Yeah. And I had that issue. Would it make sense to add like a slotted they sell like uh grating? Yeah. Like some sort of grating off feed table so the coolant could stay yeah. And the saw. I've know. had a
0: lot of thoughts for how to handle this. Just hasn't. It just hasn't been, been a priority. list. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. a little complicated in that you would need it to be able to fold out of the way. Gotcha. For when you're setting up a cut.
1: I wonder if it would save, uh, w- probably would save a lot of time if you got a little um, induction switch and put it part way so there was still some buffer to the edge of the current off-feed table mm. and then just run a red light into the shop so oh. you could see when parts had gotten there so you didn't have to walk all the way out to check on the saw yeah or what about <laughs> just adding a uh, video camera and oh, a screen just a little webcam like from yeah top view so you could just glance up and see how it was doing uh-huh i wonder how much time that would save in walking back and forth yeah i don't know anyway yeah that's cool
0: yeah it was a so basically
1: thing. yeah in terms of asking why you guys noticed
0: that you were walking back and forth or sorry, that you... We're still going to have to walk back and forth. But, but a little less? A little less. And then just the awkwardness of where do we put this material has been taken away. And so you're not walking back and forth with right. the tray every right. time. And, um, you know, if you do have, pull stuff out of the bucket, it's got a place to drain on the tray. Um, Interesting. and you could be cutting multiple jobs before you carry them out if you want or something. And mostly it's just like keeping things organized. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what it is like.
1: Theoretically you're adding a buffer there Mm -hmm. like a, to accept work from an upstream process. Yeah. And the advantage of having it there is basically to reduce transportation, like how many times you have to walk back and forth. I mean, it definitely reduces defects in
0: yeah. dropping stock. Mostly what it reduces is the chance of a full <coughs> tray of material ending up in the sump. I yeah, think. that feels big. <laughs> that's big. Yeah, that's the main thing. Uh, one other thing I just remembered is we we haven't fully set it up yet, but we ordered timers for our tumblers. Mm. And I think... Ariel did it, so I haven't actually seen how it's fully set up, but I think it's going to be a timer <clears throat> that will power a power strip. Okay. The power strip will power <clears throat> um tumbler, recirc pump, and uh, we got some fun like themed Christmas lights that, oh, that we're going to run along the top of awesome. the <laughs> top of the uh, uh, shop. So like each tumbler will have a different. That's awesome. <laughs> I think she got like palm trees and I love like coconuts it, coconuts <laughs> and stuff. So they'll be down in the middle of the shop, and when the lights go out, you'll know that it's done. Nice.
1: Yeah. Pretty. That's, pretty without simple. Walking across. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so we we changed our spring injector at our assembly station like the thing that inserts a spring into the buckle before the pin gets put in and then was this
0: the thing that you increased the magazine size yep same thing
1: same thing every time a spring runs through it it wears away at the plastic a little bit it's uh. all 3d printed we may add metal inserts to that one wear area mm-hmm. but basically it needs to get changed out intermittently um, it was creating a defect where the spring getting the spring leg getting released because I had gone like fully through the side of the thing uh. was scraping the buckle and in, oh. in assembling it. Um, and so we caught that. We didn't have one on hand 3D printed, which we mean to. Um, and so uh, so it sort of brought up a question of Kanban again. We keep running into this of like yeah. production tools that are not con bond and have a life, a particular lifespan. And we're sort of bumping up our production has increased sufficiently where these are like it used to feel sort of like, oh, well, that happened today. OK, we'll deal with it. Like, yeah. no big deal. Now it's sort of like we planned on being running and we're not running yeah <laughs> and we can't run. So uh, some stuff to think about, just like process reliability, how that all gets
0: triggered that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. We did change it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. (coughs) Cool, cool. Uh, Last small one. We sent our first quote with Paperless Parts Quoting Software. Very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. Um, They are great to work with. Pretty much, at least in this early phase, got someone on hand, like, to answer questions and make alterations, like... Oh, that's great. More or less at a moment's notice. (coughs) So it was kind of like... Sent this quote. Customer had a question about an addition, like they wanted to split quantities between different colored anodizing. And I was like, okay, how do I do this? And then someone was right back with me and was like, okay, you could follow this pathway, like you could do it this other direction. We're going to add a line so you can add this detail. Um, So I'm feeling very, feeling very good about this choice and what it's going to do for us going forward. That's cool. I think. I forget if we've talked about this, but
1: I think um, there's so much improvement to be made in software. Yeah. And this like freemium mindset. Uh-huh. <laughs> ne- like, I don't know. It- it- it's not great. Um, I think I try to find free tools to try, but sometimes like, <laughs> and by sometimes I mean always, you get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah. And like looking at people, um, like pro, you know there's been a few studies on four day work weeks yeah basically the common theme is every company that's trying to move to that uh spends like three to six months preparing for it mm-hmm. and from what i can tell a lot of the preparation has to do with like it huh. of like this person's whole job was basically or half of their job was copying numbers from this system into this other system and it's like all right, let's pay someone a good chunk of money to just fix this for good, where they talk uh-huh. to each other and like all that stuff. And Interesting. Anyway. Huh.
0: Cool. Yeah. And just to uh, give some background, the issue there was just uh, too much time going to quoting and also not having good information necessarily going in and out in terms of getting a sense of what, what we were making money on, what we weren't. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a two pronged goal of reducing our admin, sending quotes that are more representative of what the things need to cost, um, and getting back to our three pronged, getting back to our customers faster. And I think it's going to do all those things pretty well. That's cool. Yeah, feeling good about it.
1: That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well. Um, Yeah, I feel like we both have a couple others But we've run over So maybe we should just call it a day We'll call
0: it a day Maybe chat about them next week
1: Sounds good Um, Thanks all for tuning in and listening Um, Love the feedback Please keep sending feedback Um, Really appreciate everyone sort of weighing in And uh, what's interesting What's less interesting Ways we can improve the podcast Um, Also like things you have been thinking about And would like to hear about uh, Is really interesting um yeah Yeah. you can find the podcast at incremental ci on instagram um please send us messages uh tag us in your improvements uh you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing you can find me at lichen
0: underscore mfg on instagram uh have a great week yeah